Hello, and welcome to the Baba Yaga Project. The Baba Yaga Project is a podcast and blog that focuses on the ritualized year folklore and history. Lovingly researched and recorded by your hosts, Devin and Sonia. Hi, I'm Devin, and I have a master's degree in American history with a concentration in Indigenous studies. And hi, I'm Sonia, and I'm doing a PhD in medieval history. And this week, uh, just in time for Groundhog's Day, we're talking about, one, Groundhog's Day, and two, various types of divination for the season of divining, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Right, I mean, Groundhog's Day is essentially a throwback to a, a long, long line of people doing doing the fortune telling doing the divination trying to to read the signs to foresee yeah, the gotta future be prepared so you do you got to be prepared you got to know what's coming and you know i think that's that's how we're going to break this down i'm going to start out with sort of a here's where okay. groundhog's day comes from and then we'll move into you know some other traditional divination practices we're going to talk about casting lots we're going to talk about astrology we're going to talk about dream interpretation uh we might get to reading tea leaves but that might be in the bonus episode okay. we will see Sounds what great. we can put into this one groundhog day i'm ready so let's start with groundhog day so let's start out reading the omens of the natural world is great. a tradition that goes back you know, thousands of years, maybe longer. I don't know. But, you know, nowadays we tend to yeah. think of these as, oh, well, that's an old wives' tale or it's superstition. But for a good chunk of human history, this would have been taken very, very seriously. Yeah. Like, don't, you know, black cats are bad luck. So if you if you cross the black cat's path, that's bad luck for you. Um, you know, you know, there's also the Romans. They would look at flight paths of birds to discern the future, and that was taken very seriously about, okay, we got to look at these birds, we got to see where they're flying, how they're flying, which direction, what type of bird, and that can tell us, you know, about yeah. the weather that's going to come. It can tell us about outcomes of battles. It can tell us, you know, is this a, a fortuitous day to undertake a task, or should we wait? But Groundhog's Day is essentially the same idea. It's we are going to look at an animal's behavior to find out the future. And basically, some um, some version of this seems to have been around since, you know, the Middle Ages, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow. so th- I would not have thought that about Groundhog's Day. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't necessarily uh, with a groundhog, because that's <laughs> not a European animal, but <laughs> there was this idea that um, basically Candlemas, which is February 2nd, mm-hmm. which is, you know, traditionally that was the day when you would take all the candles that you were going to use for the year to the church, and they would all be blessed, and the church candles would get blessed, so everyone's God blessed candles but yep. this was also an important day because it's early february and it basically was a day where 
there were a lot of, you know, there's a lot of folklore around, well, this is the day where it's going to be the turning point from winter to spring. Like, how much longer do we have to wait for spring to come back? Right. So, you know, there's there, there were some simpler versions. Like, you have a... Uh, you know, there are little rhyming couplets that still exist. So that's, if Candlemas is fair and clear, there'll be two winters in the year. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's this idea of, well, let's, you know, if, if the weather is nice on Candlemas, then uh, the winter is going to extend. Yeah. And if it's bad weather on Candlemas, then, oh, okay, spring is coming. This is sort of the last hurrah of yeah. winter. But it's also, there were often animals incorporated into this. So there were, depending on the region, you would have different weather predicting animals. So it might be, we're going to watch for the badger to come out of its den. And if the badger sees its shadow, then, you know, the winter is going to end soon. And if it doesn't see its shadow, then we have... Uh, six more weeks of winter mm-hmm. you know variants on that but people would also use <laughs> uh, bears if that was the local animal you'd you'd watch to see if the bear came out of its out of its den for a bit or a fox basically hibernating animals so basically that any come out in the spring so that you yeah. know spring is coming because the animals aren't hibernating anymore <laughs> Exactly. It's just any old animal that hibernates (laughs) through the winter. Now, of course, this was strongly discouraged in the 16th century in Protestant Reformation countries, because that's obviously magic and God will smite you for watching that foxhole. But as with many things, it, it with, with, uh, Protestant countries trying to squash folk yeah. traditions. There was, there was varying success. You know, it maybe wasn't an official practice anymore, but people were still like, oh yeah, so we're, we're gonna yeah. go like hang out and watch that bear. Yeah. Right? Like, we're gonna go watch the den. Because we gotta know when we're gonna be able to plant again. Because it's February, and like, I'm getting pretty hungry. I right. really hope we can start planting things soon. And that's kind of the the extent of it in Europe, but it became a much bigger deal when it was basically brought over to the Americas, specifically by the Pennsylvania Dutch, otherwise known as immigrants from Germanic-speaking areas <laughs> of Europe. So they are... The Pennsylvania Dutch are not, in fact, Dutch. They are German. They called themselves <laughs> Deutsch. So the English-speaking people around them said that's the Pennsylvania Dutch, and the okay. name has stuck to this day. Um, and they had the tradition of February 2nd as ah. Badger Day, uh, where if the badger emerges and it's a sunny day, thereby casts shadow, that means that it's going to be a uh. long winter. 
Whereas, you know, you'll get four or six more weeks of winter, depending on, right. you know, who you ask. Um, whereas if there's no shadow because it's a cloudy, gloomy day, that means that spring is right around the corner. So they bring this over, but very quickly realize that badgers are not, <laughs> you know, super common in the U.S. And uh, even when they are, they are <laughs> horrifying animals. I mean, to be clear, European badgers, terrifying, <laughs> but adorable. Like, I want yeah. to go squish their little cheeks and pet them. I know they'll bite my face yeah. off, but they, they look real cute. Whereas American badgers, they're terrifying creatures yeah. that look terrifying and also less common. So they were like, well, there's this thing that's a, there's, there's this other <laughs> burrowing rodent creature that comes out. I guess we'll look at that. And hence, <laughs> Groundhog Day was born. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, over over time, it gains popularity, basically, locally. It gets published in newspapers. And then, you know, it, I'm, I'm not going to go yeah. into the whole way of how this spreads. But, I mean, it's basically like most other traditions we've talked about where... You know, it starts out as this regional thing, and then through the 19th century especially, and into the 20th, as these more regional traditions are being published in the newspaper and spoken about on the radio, suddenly people are like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So we'll try doing that. And this is how we've come to the point we're at today, where we are living in the 21st century, and you can still tune in to your local news station and there's almost certainly going to be a reporter on the scene and it's a watching rodent, to see a rodent uh, come out of it is still in Pennsylvania it's it, is, it is a groundhog yes <laughs> so it it's is not just any rodent film. he has magical powers obviously <laughs> oh you're, you're right, Devin. I'm so sorry. I should never have insulted Phil this yeah, way. I hope he forgives me and does not curse me with eternal winter. Although, I mean, well, let's be real. This past year has just been essentially Groundhog Day, where it's just every day is the same. And just every day and I wake COVID up and day it's still again. COVID. <laughs> like, uh, yep. Yep. I mean, I wish I could. Uh, I mean, I wish I had half the drive that Bill Murray does. I would learn how to would have learned how to, you know, yeah. be a master piano player, could have learned how to make ice sculptures. <laughs> I did not do that. So, you know, here we are. But let's see, perhaps, perhaps we can turn more broadly to some, some of our other ancient divinatory practices okay and see if we can perhaps divine what our future holds okay so i guess we can start out just divination more broadly right uh there's lots of different traditions there's lots of different ways to go about it but the basic idea is let's try to figure out what the future holds mm -hmm. let's try to see what's going to happen. Let's try to see what our luck is going to be like, what the weather will be like. Is this, you know, a an opportunistic time to start out on a task? 
etc. And uh, again, as with a lot of these kinds of folk practices, for the most part, you do have, especially like uh, if you look at most of these, you know, they would be considered part of a religious practice or like folk practices, right? Like they, it is not until relatively recently, like we're talking protestant reformation at the earliest that people are really getting upset about this and saying like no that's that's not allowed that's evil and demonic right like in traditional societies prior to that like including christian societies (laughs) these were all seen as pretty pretty like fine because they're all natural signs and in many cases they actually are referred to in different religious texts so just as kind of a blanket explanation of the fact that this idea that like oh like you're not allowed to like you know astrology is evil or whatever like that's not that that is an anachronistic thing that is not something that was going on for like most of human history so anyway let's start out with uh topic number one which is astrology (laughs) Woo! so astrology what's your sign Ooh. okay so my sun sign (laughs) is aquarius and my rising sign is cancer and my moon sign is gemini Wow, you've got a lot going on there. I do. It's it's a lot of things. I'm Scorpio sun with a Virgo moon and Virgo rising. So Ooh, I'm very Virgo. You are very Virgo. With a dash of Scorpio. <laughs> maybe maybe that's why we work well together, because I'm just like chaotic, chaotic energy. And <laughs> You know, you've got, like, the Scorpio, but then you have the Virgo to, like, balance you out a little. So you're yeah. a little bit more... I'm just very needy, is what I've gotten from my <laughs> star chart. That, that's fair. I'm very, very needy. Uh, what, what I've gotten <laughs> from mine is, like, you are a chaos demon, because you don't know what you want ever, and... You at one one second you're like ah yes I must be in my intellectual pursuit and think about the betterment of humanity Aquarius but then it's like but your cancer rising so you're going to start crying for no apparent reason and then it's like Gemini just throws it in there to be like hey let's see how the mood is today anyway this has been a tangent but uh, this uh, astrology is one of the oldest. <laughs> Um, practices that has been recorded for humans doing things basically. It has been dated to at least the second millennium BCE and it has its roots in calendrical systems that were used both to predict seasonal shifts and to interpret celestial cycles because for you know most cultures through time and space Celestial cycles really mattered because those are signs of divine communications, right? Like you have in pretty, in, in across the board, there's, it's very common to have this idea of, you know, the celestial bodies as 
being, you know, signals from the divine because they are above us, they are unknowable, they are unreachable, etc. So there are recorded um, astrological traditions in Hinduism, in there were throughout um, throughout Chinese history Mm -hmm. and in different regional uh, interpretations, there were different forms of astrology, um, which anyone who knows their Chinese zodiac would be somewhat familiar with. Right. Oh, wait, I do know. I think I'm Year of the Dog, but I could be wrong. I did. There's also Mayan astrology, which got real hot for a second there in 2012. Remember when we thought the world was going to end in 2012? (laughs) How naive. (laughs) How foolish. It was eight years off. (laughs) If only. And what we think of today as, you know, Western quote-unquote astrology, so you know, Aquarius, Scorpio, etc. That is one of the oldest ones that is still mm-hmm. being used, and it dates to mm-hmm. the 19th to 17th century BCE Mesopotamia. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then it spread, you know, via trade routes mostly, and also mm-hmm. intercultural exchange to Greece, then to Rome. It also spread throughout basically the Mediterranean basin so it has influence Mm -hmm. on the arab and muslim world over time and it gets into europe so you look at astrology again it's a very old very widespread idea and for most of the time again until you know a few centuries ago It was a scholarly tradition, and it was very common in academic circles. It was seen as, you know, kind of going hand in hand with what we would think of as, like, astronomy. Mm -hmm. And it was also considered important in alchemy. Right. So, right, there's this idea of... And and it was very important in medicine as well. um, At, you know, historically, like... You look at medicine in the Middle Ages, there were whole guides about, well, you know, you could you could prognosticate someone's someone's outcome in their disease based on, okay, what are their star signs? How are the stars aligning right. now? What does that tell us about how this disease is going to pan out? There was also um this isn't a hundred percent astrology we would as we would think of it today per se Mm -hmm. but um phases of the moon really mattered there were different ideas that there were particularly anything to do with like bodily fluids so like if you want to bloodlet right like you can only do that at certain phases of the moon because you don't want the you know, the moon controls the tides, yeah. so it must also have a pull on your internal water, and you don't want to bloodlet at the wrong time of the month, because then you can, you know, bleed out, basically, wow. and that's the problem. <laughs> it's also tied to women's menstrual cycles, yeah. right? Like, in in a variety of cultures, there's still, you know, the idea of, quote-unquote, moon sickness, or, like, your lunar cycle. Yeah. 
So uh, again, it's it's a very it's very much seen as a scholarly tradition for a very long time, and you know there are some some like dissenting voices occasionally through history. I'm not going to pretend there aren't. Um, for example, there is some pushback in early Christianity saying like, mm, I don't know, is this maybe too pagan for us? But it's pretty quickly shouted down. Uh, specifically with the argument that the Magi, mm-hmm. as we talked about in the Epiphany episode, yeah. were led to Christ by, by a, star. a star. So they're like, that's really not a big deal. This seems pretty endorsed. <laughs> that yeah. seems all right. And uh, uh, as Esther made clear when we talk about it later, the dream interpretation, the Magi were also possibly mm-hmm. learned dream interpreters oh they most certainly were (laughs) but back to astrology so i think the big i mean obviously there's a lot to be said about it in terms of things like it can explain things like your personality Mm -hmm. it can help you know about you know what are what are fortuitous days for you what are fortuitous you know, things to eat, things to drink, how you can, like, there's a whole list of things. There's, like, I need it, my Scorpio it can, diet. Yeah, no, <laughs> it, it, genuinely, there's the, there's also ideas about, like, you know, um, people born under different signs rule different parts of the body. So different parts of the body you might have trouble with, depending on what your sign right. is. So, you know, you might... I think Aquarius is supposed to have weak ankles, which, like, I did sprain my ankle a lot as a kid. (laughs) (laughs) The dots. I've connected them. Oh, wow. But, yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of this kind of learning that takes place. Um... And, you know, I'm I'm not going to sit here and be like, yes, it is all definitely a hard science and it mm-hmm. is very much verified. But I will say that curiosity about astrology did also really drive astronomy, yeah. like early astronomy, both in, um, both in, um, like, Muslim mm-hmm. academia and Arabic writings and also in the Latin West – both of them real excited about the stars. And part of that was because astrology was seen as so important. And I think kind of the big takeaway from it isn't, is is actually quite interesting. It's this idea of the microcosm and the macrocosm. So there's this kind of central principle with anybody who's dealing with astrology that there's an integration of the cosmos with the individual and that you know the individual the earth its environments the cosmos this is all one big single organism basically that we are all connected right and all parts of us are correlated to each other so if there's a cycle of change in the heavens mm-hmm. They are reflective, but not causative, of cycles of change observed on Earth and within individuals. Right. So there's this idea of symmetry and, you know, this idea that you are not just an individual standing alone in space. That 
everything is connected to each other. And I think that's not necessarily a bad way to look at the world. That there's, you know, things influence each other. And we're all in one big, weird universe. Yeah. And on that note, I'm going to switch over to talking about claromancy or casting lots. Because... Ah, so this is not just about cannibalism, casting lots. No. That is a part of what it can be used for if you are on a ship out at sea and you've run out of food and you're... <laughs> don't have anywhere to gain more food or water and you're getting desperate and you need to decide which of the crew members you're going to eat. But, right. you know, it is another, um, the the idea of taking something that would normally be considered random, right? So mm-hmm. let's, I mean, casting lots, that can look like a lot of things. It can be basically like rolling dice or cards or drawing straws or throwing bones um chips of wood or stone with symbols inscribed on them like really anything that you can throw or pick out in a random way can be considered casting lots so it's this idea that you're taking a an action that would normally you're like yep this is randomized there is no way that i could affect the outcome and by so doing you are saying, okay, I am going to look at these. I could not have possibly affected the outcome, but because of macrocosm, microcosm, the idea that everything's connected, there is no such Mm -hmm. thing as random. So the way that these fall or the way that the lots are drawn, etc., will reveal the will of the gods or of God or the universe or other entities. Right. Right, so... You have ancient Rome. There's, you know, documents discussing people casting lots to, you know, partly it was sometimes like a gambling thing, but also as a way to say like, well, how's my luck going to turn out? You know, how's this battle going to go? Is today a good day to, to set sail? That sort of thing. Right. Okay. So I've heard about like reading bones Mm -hmm. and uh, like runes. Yep. You know, on like little stones. Yeah. I've heard about that. That is okay. likely... So that's part of casting yes, lots. Yes, that is casting lots. And that one actually seems to come from probably Germ- like Germanic and Scandinavian specifically. Um, the idea of okay. these like rune stones or... Mm-hmm. Um, it, it seems like, at least from documentation that we have, it's typically like, you know... Yeah either people writing long after the uh, like we have roman writers describing germanic practices and we also have you know people in scandinavia writing about the past or like saying like this is this is a tradition we do and it's rooted in this thing that we did for generations kind of thing um okay yeah so you know, there are descriptions of Germanic casting of lots where they would cut a branch from specific trees, typically fruit-bearing trees of some kind, so like, you know, an apple tree, let's say, and they would mm-hmm. cut it into small pieces and then mark those little pieces of wood with signs or sigils or little markings 
and then they would scatter them at random onto a cloth. And then the priest or the priestess or other, you know, wise person of the community would look at the lots Mm -hmm. and consult them if this is for the whole community or it might be, you know, the head of the family if it's being done as a family casting lots. Right. Then you would invoke the gods, you would pick up a like a number of pieces at random, one at a time, and then you would interpret them according to the signs on them. So that seems to be similar to, you know, what we would think of as, like, throwing rune stones today. It's just you're using stones with runes on them rather than chopping off a tree branch every time you need to do this, because that's Uh, a little... Yeah, that makes sense. And I actually think this is kind of interesting because there are um, there there are instances where we have um, these stories about times where you're seeing this overlap of people mm-hmm. being um, like Christianity being introduced into places. So in Scandinavia, there's stories where okay, you would throw the you could throw the lots and this could indicate to you like you could consult either the Christian God or you could invoke the Norse gods. And either way, people were still using this as a way to understand the will of the divine. And sometimes they would do both be like, Hey, whoever's listening. Um, (laughs) Cause I think that's, that's something we kind of have misconceptions about that. Like, ah, yes. Like, once people were converted to Christianity, like they completely forgot about anything that they did before and all their folk practices were ruthlessly stomped out and they burned all the witches. And and it's like, no, I mean, witch burning doesn't happen until the 1600s. And also yeah. for the most part, people in, wouldn't, when people were being introduced to Christianity, a lot of the time they were like, Sure, why not? We'll add we'll add this Jesus fellow to the roster. Sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> like we'll have another one. <laughs> why not? <laughs> um I do like this story that there is a um a Swedish man and he's unsure why he keeps having bad luck and Mm -hmm. he's scared that he's offended a god but he's not sure which god he's offended he doesn't know if it's the christian god or one of the norse gods and he goes to a soothsayer and asks her to cast lots to find out what the problem is who he has offended so the soothsayer casts the lots and she says okay it looks like the christian god has taken offense you have to you have to make something right um, for all your bad all these bad things will stop happening to you and you'll stop having bad luck. And later, the man goes home. He's going through his house, saying like, "What could I have done to offend the Christian God?" And he finds a book in like in tucked away in his house and finds out that his son had actually stolen that book from a bishop. And had taken it home. And that's why the family, and him specifically, had been cursed with bad luck. 
So I just think those are like interesting stories when you are looking at kind of what happens when you have these different religious traditions meeting, basically. Yeah. And I mean, this is, again, another thing where it, for most of the history of Christianity, totally Mm -hmm. acceptable. It's, I mean, in, um, I, I don't know as much about, well, let me, so, you know, in the, what Christians would call the Old Testament or what's the Hebrew Hebrew Bible Bible. or the Torah, depending on who you're discussing Mm -hmm. this with, there's a lot of examples of people casting lots. Um, Mm -hmm. God commands the casting of lots in Leviticus when he tells Moses, quote, and Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. There's also Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from Yahweh. And, you know, there's, um, there, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a whole list of them. There's too much that I'm going to fit to fit into this episode, but needless to say, you've got some, you've got soaring, ringing support for casting (laughs) lots, um, in the Bible, and you've also got it in the New Testament, most famously in the Acts of the Apostles, where the eleven remaining apostles, because you know Judas Iscariot, cancelled, gone, done. Yeah. So uh, you have the eleven remaining apostles, and they think, well, we need to find another person to to round out this group, right? We don't want 11 apostles. We want to be 12 apostles again. And they're not (laughs) sure if they should pick Matthias or Barsabbas to replace Judas. So they cast lots and uh, they end up selecting Matthias and that's how he becomes the new 12th apostle. So, uh, fun fact, these are still used today to um in in different Christian traditions to choose uh, clergy, basically. So, uh, let's see, in 1917, you had the Metropolitan Tikhon became the Patriarch of Moscow by the drawing of lots. And most recently, the Coptic Orthodox Church used drawing of lots to choose the Coptic Pope in 2012. And that is how Pope Tawadros II was chosen. So again, it's something that pretty is is a uh, very much seen as a normal, acceptable thing to do. Fascinating. Yeah, and I think again, it's this it's kind of an interesting idea of you know the idea that nothing actually is random. Yeah. And like the idea that there are no coincidences, basically. It's like things Yeah. Like there's there is a comfort in thinking that there is some kind of order in our chaotic universe. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get that. <laughs> and I don't know, I mean, I think there is something to be said about if if nothing else taking from this like 
the idea that maybe it's not bad to, you know, consider the natural world and ourselves as not being, like, separate entities. Yeah. That, you know, there is... We do have a... As we've talked about in other episodes, we have a responsibility to the planet that we're on and to our greater universe if we colonize Mars, especially. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because we're we're part of it. I think we often, especially in like a Western culture, want to think of ourselves as like we are separate and our built environment is separate from the natural world, but it's all part of the same like planetary community and so like you can't you can't really exist outside of nature like you're an animal and your built environment is part of the natural environment and whatever's happening in one part is happening in yeah all and of the also parts. this idea that what you do also has these knock-on effects right like there is no oh well i'm just doing this and it's it's just me and I'm an island unto myself and it's like, no, everything you do affects the people around you and what people around you do affects you and that's yeah. you know, that's just how it goes. And I think for the final, you know, branch of divination that we have time to go into in this episode will be oh, I'm going to mispronounce this, but Onira Oniromancy which I'm just going to call dream interpretation because that's a lot easier to say. Okay. <laughs> um, great. It comes from the Greek on oneros, which means a dream. So this is another okay. one that, I mean, again, you can trace it back to Mesopotamia uh, at least potentially mm -hmm. has been going on earlier than that unsure because people weren't writing things down yet um i know that's that's my takeaway is that you know gotta write things down you gotta <laughs> write <th> please <laughs> write things down but yes yeah, so, historians I mean, will no, thank you no, in no, the no. i think future historians might have too much to read if anything can you imagine a, a historian? <laughs> yeah, two hundred years from now. Twitter. Well, I mean, Twitter is at least like so semi-organized. I mean, there's a lot of it, but it's you could like search. I guess. What are they gonna do with like <laughs> random internet forums? What are they gonna do with like <laughs> you know now defunct websites? Where MySpace? Can they access MySpace? Oh my gosh, internet forums are bananas. I ended up on an internet forum for people who keep rats. I do not have rats, by the way, but like for people who keep rats fighting about whether or not you should go, you should buy mice from a mice breeder or from like get them from well, a rescue. Devin. And it was like 10 pages long back and forth about where to get mice on this. I think what they should have done. Is consult the their dreams is because according to the Mesopotamians, yeah, dream scenarios could include and direct you towards uh, information about work, 
uh, journeys and travels, family members, sex acts, encounters with human individuals, animals, and deities. I mean, you've basically got everything covered there for what you're <laughs> going to need to know about your life. Yeah, uh, it does like come it. up also, of course, in the Epic of Gilgamesh, because, you know, Gilgamesh himself, he has dreams of the arrival of Enkidu. Enkidu dreams about their encounter mm-hmm. with the giant Humbaba. Um, there's... The part where Gilgamesh has a dream where he sees the gods, he has a dream where he visits the underworld. Basically, Gilgamesh and Enkidu do a lot of dreaming. It's a lot of dream sequences in the epic (laughs) of Gilgamesh. But, I mean, the point stands that there's this idea of the things that happen in your dreams are divine or otherworldly messages for you, and that if you have the knowledge Mm -hmm. of how to So it's important, then, that you know how to interpret your dreams, and the oldest surviving manuscript of how to interpret dreams comes from Mm -hmm. pre-Hellenistic Egypt, and it mostly survives in some fragments, but it now resides in the British Museum, as do many things. Um... (laughs) Yeah, I'm not gonna not gonna especially. dive too far into that, but it is called the Remicide Dream Book. If you're interested in looking at uh, Egyptian, ancient Egyptian dream interpretation, and as I mentioned before, the Greeks and the Romans also really loved their dream interpretation, both as a literary device and also as a religious Mm -hmm. practice. Aristotle and Plato have talked about dreams. Um, There is a Greco-Roman dream book that's just called the Onerocritica. (laughs) Why can't I pronounce anything, Devin? And again, I mean, we have examples like in the Odyssey where Penelope has dreams and, you know, it tells her what is going to come in the future. Again, there's also... This, of course, spreads to... And, I mean, again, I'm going to circle back to the Bible because it's another situation where um, there are a lot, like a lot of times where God shows up in a dream or an angel sent by God shows up in a dream. Most notably, uh, God speaks to Abraham, who is the, you know, father of the Abrahamic religions uh, while he is in a deep sleep, so through a dream. Um, Jacob dreams of a ladder to heaven and his son, Joseph, coat of many colors, Joseph, kind of makes his... He he has prophetic dreams and actually ends up interpreting the dreams for uh, the pharaoh of Egypt. I remember that, um, not because I am particularly studious of my bible like i should be being a christian you don't have to be studious of your bible if you don't want to whatever um but because of the donny osmond musical (laughs) joseph and the amazing technicolor dream coat which features a song i know about dreaming a dream (laughs) there you go and uh i remember it due to the 2000 Year 2000 Y2K smash hit Joseph King of Dreams. 
Yeah, I've only seen the Moses Absolute work banger. But I'm sure that one is excellent as well. Because the one about Moses oh, yeah. is perfection. It is, it's great. Prince of Egypt. Anyway. And then going into the New Testament, we have the Magi, as we mentioned before, are told in a dream to avoid Herod on their journey home. Mm -hmm. uh, when Joseph is betrothed to Mary... He gets a dream saying, look, man, I, I know that your fiance is pregnant and uh, it's definitely not your kid, but uh, that's because it's God's kid. So please just go along with this. And he says, yeah. OK. <laughs> and he also is directed to flee to Egypt with Mary and the baby Jesus to avoid King Herod in a dream. And last but not least, right. uh, Paul was told to go to Macedonia in a dream. So again, lots of uh, lots of dream interpretation in the Christian Bible. It's I, it is also um, mentioned in the Quran, but it is much less um, much less emphasized in Islam. Mm -hmm. There are dreams about specific numbers or about reading specific chapters. Where if you dream this, it is a form of prognostication. But there's also a 15th century like compilation text called the Great Book of Dream Interpretation, or the Interpretation of Dreams, depending on your translation. And that is one of, you know, the biggest and most fam famous <laughs> Arabic texts on the matter. So this is, again, just sort of a... A uh, there's a long history of people looking to understand themselves, understand the world, try to predict the future, and uh, you know whether you believe in any of this or not. I think it's a fascinating thing to learn about and see how people have tried to make sense yeah. of themselves in the world. Because after the year we've had, yeah, and it's, it's a lot of fun sometimes fine. if you just want to. Give it a try. We will have some bonus content on the Patreon talking about teacup reading for anyone who's interested in a more, slightly more modern take on fortune telling. Thank you for listening to the Baba Yaga Project, and as always, thank you to all our patrons for making this project possible. Please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and on our website for the most up-to-date happenings. Also, please consider supporting us on Patreon. It really helps us continue the project and expand in some really exciting ways. There's also Patreon-exclusive merch and content. And we'll see you next week!